Mark 13, and then uh, we're down in verse 28, and uh, we're going to pick up here. Uh, we've been talking about the 70th week, is the, the timing of the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the second coming, the description and so forth here, the, the deception program that's going to be coming on them, uh, and that's uh, what, uh, what, we're, what we're seeing here. And we're now in verse 28, and uh, when, you know, when you look around, it's very interesting. Uh, when you look around and you see things happening in life, and then you go, well, wait a minute, that's what that looks like, until you get the study in, and then you find out it really isn't. But it is a picture because life does picture it, and it does give that uh, issue there. And again, right division, dispensational Bible study helps with all of that. Verse 28, uh, now learn a parable of the fig tree when her branch is not yet, I'm sorry, when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Now this passage is widely used by the prophecy preachers and uh, by Bible believers as well, but it's actually used in a very disappointing manner. And uh, that's what really gets, you need to understand here, Christ is concluding now his description of, and and really answer to their question back up in verse 4 where they ask him, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And he's been giving them the, the events of the trib, uh, the events of his re- return, back up there in verse 26. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost uh, part of heaven. Now learn a parable. Now, all you see, all these things are going to take place. Now let, we need to learn something here. Because again, what were they asking? When and what? What's going on here? How do we know? And it's, in, it's you know, really important here to, to catch what he's doing with them. And he's going to give them the parable of the fig tree. And what happens is, is this parable becomes the basis on which the prophecy preachers and, and other believer, Bible believers, if you will, try to use to identify the timing of the second coming of the Lord, but also the timing then of the rapture for the church, the body of Christ. The problem is, is they, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to get into it, they misunderstand what the fig tree is representing and we've seen that as we come across just do it here a little bit again we've already saw last time or which would have been two week two weeks ago that verse 27 is not first thessalonians 4 first corinthians 15 and we went over and we looked at matthew 24 when they say that he shall send his angels and he shall gather together his elect from the four winds that that's the rapture of the body no, this is prophecy, it's not the mystery. And when we looked at that, yet what they do, again, those who fail to understand right division, 
they come here and they use this as a basis point of predicting the second coming. Now, verse 28, notice the parable. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye shall know that summer is near. All right? So when you see the fig tree beginning to put forth her leaves, sprout, what do you know? You know what season it is. Okay? So if you can look at the fig tree and know that it's not winter any longer, it's really not even spring, it's, it's summertime, okay? Verse 29, So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. If you've got, the, if you've got enough understanding here to look at that fig tree and to know, identify from nature, where all of this, where the fig trees are at in, the, in nature, then when you look around and you see this happening, guess what you're going to know? You're going to know. If you've got wisdom, uh, come back with me to Matthew 16. If you've got the, if you have wisdom and you take what, and this is what the Lord's saying to these guys, you take what I'm teaching you and you let those things inform you of what's going on. Remember when he says, Hey, when you see this, then look up. Don't look up until you see this happening. When you, then you'll be able to understand some of the issues of the timing of what all this is going to happen. Look at Matthew 16. And, and, and again, it, it, this, this, it, when we studied the Gospels 10 years, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, when we started in Luke, by the way, Sunday night, we ended up doing Q&A for an hour and a half instead of studying Luke. I haven't got out, we're not out of Luke chapter 1, and we've been at it for four months. But that's okay. I would rather have the Q&A than, than the other because the questions and answers are more pertinent to the moment. Luke, and Luke isn't going anywhere, okay? But when you think of, when we started studying the Gospels, I t I've said it almost that every time we start a new book, we're, t we're coming to this where it is in the moment. We're not making it us. We're not putting it on us. We're leaving it where it belongs. And that's that issue of right division. That's the issue where we're going to make the cuts where God has already made the cuts. And that brings great clarity to the word of God. So we're not going to try to make this us. Matthew 16, verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he, he would show them a sign from heaven. So here's the leadership, the religious leaders of Israel. And what do they want? A sign from heaven. Now watch verse 2. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Now think about what he just said there. We know this here in the monsoons. When you look to the east and you see the big white puffy clouds coming over the mountains, what do you know? A storm's coming. When they start coming out of the southeast, what do we know? The storm is coming. That's all he's saying here. And 
you guys have the sense to be able to tell the weather by looking around at the sky and so forth, and you, you know what, how to do that, then guess what you should be able to do? You ought to be able to discern the time schedule that you're sitting on, that God has Israel on. You ought to be able to look at that. You ought to be able to go back into Daniel 9 and back there in those t- and figure out where we're at here, guys. I shouldn't have to give you another sign from heaven. You ought to be able to look at this stuff and know. Come back to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. You see, Israel had a time schedule that they operated on. And this time schedule was critical so that they knew where they were in the program. They knew and understand and understood what was happening and what God was trying to accomplish. In 1 Chronicles 12, uh, if you look here at verse 32, we, we've, we're in the time of David, okay? And, and, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the time, all right, so what they understand? They understood where they were, okay? They understood where they were. They understood specific things. And when those things happened, it was because of some spiritual issues that was to be accomplished. So this happened so that that would be accomplished. Now watch what these guys did. The sons of Issachar, they understood, had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were two were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their commandment. Notice what these guys understood. They understood the time, so that they could do what? Know what to do. And when you come back to Matthew 16, that's what he's telling them. You guys know the time schedule. You are the leaders of the Israel of the, of the Israel of the nation. You ought to be able, just as you can look out there and tell the weather, you know. <laughs> It's interesting, the last couple days has been kind of overcast. Clouds move in and move out a little bit here and there. It's like, all right, what's going on? Well, we can feel the heat. The, you know, it's a little more oppressive. It's like, oh, okay, it's not even 100 yet. And we're already belly aching that it's hot. You know, well, some of us are. You know, okay, front row excluded here, all right, on, on the left, on the right side, on, on this side, my, my right side, okay? And yet what's going on here? They, they, the same, the Lord is talking to those religious, uh, come back to uh, Luke 21, Luke 21. So it's the same thing. That's what the Lord is saying to the religious leaders who were, they didn't have an understanding of the timeline. They didn't have wisdom. They didn't, they didn't have understanding. They didn't have the wisdom that God had for them. What did they have? The traditions of men. They had all of this vain religious system. There's no way that they would know, could know. Why? Because they were, they were tithing on the mint and this and that. They were doing all this washing of the pots and pans and all this rather than the meatier, heavier things, meatier thing, meaty, meat, the heavier things of the law. Okay, meatier, yeah. Meat, weightier, weightier. Okay, anyway, Luke 21. Luke 21. So they didn't understand. What the Lord's getting at here is, you want me to show you a sign to tell you where we are in the time schedule, Matthew 16? 
But if you had had any wisdom, any spiritual insight, you can figure this out. And you're going to figure it out from God's word. And again, their understanding is by observation and then taking the word of God and applying it to that. And that's where they get their spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Watch the Lord here, Luke 21, verse 25. He's going to give them some information here, and it's going to be about an issue where they can figure it out. Now, the parable here, verse 25, is where we're at in Mark 13. I'm sorry, Matthew 13. Yeah, Mark 13. Okay? And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So they're going to see all of that cosmic up there. Mark 13. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So here he comes. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. All right? So when all that's happening, the hearts of men, now you're going to look up. Now watch verse 29. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see, and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. In connection with the fig tree showing up, what are they to know? When the fig tree does its bud now, see, guys, you, he said, when you can see all of that stuff happening out there, then look up. All of that cosmic, all of that is a sign to tell you that what? Your redemption draweth nigh. It's time to look up because what are, you're on the redemptive schedule. It's time now. The second coming is drawing nigh so they should be able come back to mark 13 they should be able to look around at what's going on and see know understand identify where they are on the time schedule that's what the parable of the fig tree is telling them that's all it's telling them it isn't telling them how to time something out he's already done that we're all, he's already given them Mark, uh, Mark 13, 14, in the midst of the week when this happens. Boom. When this is going to happen. Then, By the way, there in, in verse uh, 24, Mark 13, 24, but in those days after that tribulation, there's a timing mark. So after, boom, we got all of this going on here. And if you can discern, that's what verse 28 and 29 is all about. If you can discern... The natural seasons, by looking around, looking at the fig tree, looking at the sky and all that, then you should be able to take God's word and apply that to what you're seeing. When you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all that stuff happening, what do you know? Where we're at on the timeline. 
So because of that, this is where the date people get involved, the prophecy preachers happen. They come in and they say, okay, when we see the fig tree bud, then what do we know? The Lord's coming is soon. Okay? Verse 30. Here's the next issue. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. The generation that sees the fig tree bud out. Do verse 28 and 29. What's going to happen? Well, if we can identify when the fig tree buds, then that's going to enable, enable us to understand that the generation that sees that is going to see what else? The Lord's return. Okay? The problem is, is again, they, get, they misidentify what the fig tree is all about. And when they do that, this causes them to think one thing that's going to happen, then it leads them into this generation. And that generation, by the way, the generation here is, is they use the 40 year number, okay? Um, I'm going to give you, a, when we get down here in a minute, I'll give you a different idea about that word generation, generate, okay? But when you think about this, most of the prophecy preachers out there, most of mainline Christianity, make the fig tree into the nation of Israel, the national life of Israel. So May 14, 1948, what happened to Israel? It was ratified to be, it was, a, it was recognized by the United States of America and the government to be a nation. Israel was, was under British rule. The Brits said it. America recognized it. Bam, there it is. So then what do we say? What do, not we, what do they say? The first time in almost 2,000 years, the nation of Israel is a nation. So they come in and they take 1948 and they say, okay, here's the budding of the fig tree. And they understand, the fig, they make the fig tree represent the, na the nation of Israel. So when Israel becomes a nation in the, and on the, on, uh, on the, in the realms of history, they say, okay, see that? Now the generation that saw that happen shall not pass away because the Lord's going to come back. So what do they do? Well, 1948 plus 40 is what? 1988. Remember a book written by 1988? Ah, see? Problem is, is you got to back that bad boy up seven years for the seven years of the tribulation. So really it should be 1981. Oh, well, okay. You know. So in the late 70s, in the early 80s, what, what was there an onslaught? A tremendous movement about this and book writings and all this stuff. The problem is, is when it didn't happen, <laughs> see, well, they said, well, we figured wrong. We got the dates wrong. And uh, they don't really look at it and say, maybe we are identifying the fig tree wrong. They say, no, we got the dating wrong. And maybe it's more than 40 as a generation. And then they start fudging the numbers. I read a book that 2025 was the new number, the new date. I'm like, wow. So we only got a couple years left. So 
let's sell it all and eat and drink and be married because here he comes, right? And so, yeah, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that idea. Just be done with it all. But, but that's what they did. The year 2000, big push. Well, the power's going to go out. The Lord's coming back. Bam. Gulf War One, early 90s. They were saying that early, that was the United States helping Iran and Iraq, the Antichrist, to come in and to plow open a back door to attack Israel. And the U.S. was, was the big pusher, and they pushed it, and they were pushing it. And it was like, wow, okay, that's a little, but what did they have to do? They were wrong. 88 didn't happen. 81 doesn't happen. So we've got a, the problem is the misidentifying of what the fig tree is in Scripture. The fig tree does not represent the nation of Israel as a nation, the national life. Now, come back to Judges 9. And again, I realize we've done this, but it's important here because what does the Lord say? If you guys can understand what's going on out there in nature, then you ought to be able to look at this over here and figure out when you see all this happening that that comes and this generation that sees all of that happening shall not pass and shall be okay. But that generation isn't the 40-year thing, okay? By the way, how you know that is what did, what did, what did God do to these guys, their program? He interrupted it with the age of grace. And when he does that, that generational thing just goes right out the window. 1988, 1948 happened during the dispensation of grace. It didn't happen in 48 AD. Oh, by the way, that would have been dispensation of grace. See? So you, you people, when you don't rightly divide the word and you don't push, put the marks where God has the marks to be put, then quickly you lose reference. I had a conversation years ago with the guy. Oh, Hitler was the Antichrist. I'm like, no, he wasn't. He's like, yes, he was. He was a bad guy. I said, I didn't say he wasn't a, I didn't say he was, you know, Mickey Mouse. I said he wasn't the Antichrist. Why? Because in 1930s and the 40s, we're in the dispensation of grace. The only way you would ever know that he was the Antichrist is to get beyond all of that. That means the 70th week has had to happen. The kingdom is here, the great white throne judge, and then you look back and say, there he was. That's the only way to be able to do that. And we look back and guess what? None of that's happened yet. Here we still stand. Judges 9, you have four trees. The four trees. That trees in Scripture represent, uh, they'll represent the Gentiles, they'll represent nations, they represent, uh, um, like in verse 8, the trees went forth of a time. You see that trees there? You go over to Ezekiel, and there's the trees. Um, I'm trying to think of where that is in Ezekiel. I just had it, so hang on. It's going to bug me if I don't do it. Well, it's going to just have to rise there because it wasn't right. Uh, it's Ezekiel uh, 31. There's the trees listed there. The, the four trees that represent the nation of Israel. 
Okay, the olive, the fig, the vine, and the bramble. By the way, all four are found in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Okay, they're in the garden. Three in the garden, one after the garden. So they represent Israel in several different capacities. Israel has more than one function in the earth, and each of these trees demonstrate that. So in Judges 9, we've just came off of Gideon. And Gideon's boy is going to do a parable. Jotham here is going to do a parable about the, and he's going to use this about Abimelech taking over and being, uh, being the king. But what, the, what he's doing here is he's giving the, this parable about the future of the nation of Israel. What's coming? Look at verse 6. And all the men of Shechem gathered together in all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And when they told it to Jotham, all right? Now, making Abimelech king was a bad move. So Jotham, Gideon's boy, is going to show up. And he says, verse 7, And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. The trees, they are representing the Gentiles, the nations in the earth. And they're going to come. And they're looking for someone to rule over them. Now, that someone should be Israel. They are the head, not the tail. They're the lender, not the lindy. They're they're the ones, they are God's people. Deuteronomy 4, they're it. So they go to the tree, verse 8. And they say unto the olive tree, reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith by, uh, wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? So they go to the olive tree, and they ask the olive tree, and you know what the olive tree says? No. So Israel functioning in the olive tree, they're, no, we're not going to do it. Why should I leave my fatness? Why should I leave my goodness to come and rule over a bunch of heathen? No, I'm not going to do it. Verse 9. Verse 10. And the trees said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Notice that response. They go to the fig tree, Israel acting in, in the fig uh, capacity. And what are they? No, why in the world would I leave my, my, my goodness, my, my sweetness? my good fruit, to go run. No. Do you see the self-interest, the selfishness here? Their whole goal was to go and was to be the channel of blessings, Abrahamic covenant to the families. They're not functioning that way. Verse 12, then said the trees unto the vine, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man and Go to be promoted over the trees. They say, no, we're not going to do that. 
Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Ooh, look at what the bramble said. The bramble was, yes, that's not a good thing. The olive tree. My fruit, why in the world would I go? It's profitable. That, <laughs> no. The fig, fruit that's profitable. Good, no. The vine, the fruit that's profitable and good, it cherish God. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving my, and yet the bramble, you know, that's uh, Genesis 3, the curse of Adam, the, th the thistles out there now and the thorns and the bramble. That's apostasy. It's not good. And by the way, if you look there in verse 15, fire is going to come out of them. And what Israel did, instead of functioning in the areas that God gave them to function and God gave them the, the capacity to accomplish, the olive, the fig, and the vine, to go be who God created them to be, they focused in on their self-interest. They were selfish. And the result was the bramble, apostate Israel, which is ultimately going to be the Antichrist, took over, got them, snared them. So from this movement forward, by the way, they're the ones that set up Abimelech over them. And it's because they, the reason they did that was because they failed to be who God made them to be. They just failed. So when you think about these guys, uh, come, the olive tree, just notice what they're there to do. Uh, look at, come with me to 1 Kings chapter 6. The olive tree, the olive oil, the oil of anointing. Okay, you press that olive oil, we've got the olive Plant, uh, place down south, uh, Santana, the olive mill. And, you, and they, if you pay them for the tour, they'll show you how they do it. And they, pre and they squeeze that, that uh, the press, they press the olive oil. They use that oil in the, in the anointing. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. So what the olive oil pictures is the spiritual access to God. How, can, how is man going to access God? Well, they're going to do it through the Spirit, and where is he at? He's in that nation of Israel over there. Look at 1 Kings 6. Notice this. You see, God gave Israel the tabernacle, the temple, where they can come and they can have access to God, and the Gentile, the nations out there were to come up and come through that temple, through that access point into the holy, most holy, and visit the Lord, and be there, and they were going through the tribe of Levi, through the nation of Israel, into it. 1 Kings 6, uh, you have Solomon going to build the temple. Verse 31, and for the entering of the oracle, Solomon's going to build the temple here. In the temple, there's a holy place, and then the most holy We'll sometimes say the holy of holies, and that's not correct. In the temple, it's the most holy. But notice, 
for the entering of the oracle, he made doors of olive tree. Isn't that interesting? The oracle. The doors are made out of what? The olive tree. The access into the presence of God that they were going to walk through was them walking through an olive tree. Verse 32, the two doors also were of olive tree, and he carved upon them carvings of cherubims and palm trees and open flowers. Verse 33, so also made he for the door of the temple post of olive tree, a fourth part of the wall, and on you go. And you see this olive tree used throughout the temple because it represents access to God. How can any nation in the earth have access to God? It's only through Israel. Israel is the one that had the provision and the promise of the new covenant. It was Israel that was the, the conduit to where the nations were to come. So olive oil, olive tree, it has that picture of, of accessing God's life, eternal life. And in Genesis, by the way, it is the tree of life. So the tree of life is the olive tree. Why? Because there's where life the tree of life, God's life, eternal life, is all about. The fig tree. <laughs> it's an interesting tree. The fig tree represents the first time the fig tree shows up is in Genesis 3 and it's Operation Fig Leaf. And it's a picture of, of religion, of man's attempt to cover himself before God and uh, do accomplish it by performance. In other words, I'm going to perform and I gain access to God. So really, the fig tree is a picture of the religious life of the nation. The only religion God ever gave was to Israel. And that religious life is what the fig tree represents. Now, the standard teaching in all of the books and all the stuff out there is that the fig tree represents the national life. And you know what? That's not so in Scripture. That's so in the theology books. Because the, the vine tree, the vine tree is what represents the nation, the national life. Now, we'll come back to the fig in just a second. Come over with me to Psalms 80. Psalms chapter 80. Because what's critical in what modern day Christianity does here is mess up the identity of these trees. The vine tree is representing the national life of Israel. Psalms 80. Psalms 80 verse 1. By the way, it's a psalm about the second coming. Verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubs, shine forth. Verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparedest a room before it, and did, didst cause it to take deep root and to fill the land. Thou the hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. Well, what came out of Egypt? The nation of Israel. 
By the way, if you just keep reading there, verse 12, why hast, why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? What did he say? I'm going to put a hedge about it. I'm going to, I'm going to come in here, come over to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. So the, the vine, he's going to take that, he's going to take that, he's planted that nation. Isaiah 5, verse 1. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it. The tower, that's religion, represents the issue of religion, the wine press. Notice what's in here. And also made a wine press therein. Why would there be a wine press in the vineyard? Because he's got a fig tree over there. He's got a religion over there he's going to deal with. He's got the nation. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. By the way, that's why you know in the garden it was a grape, not an apple. Okay, the Latin did that. The Roman Catholics did that. It's a grape. Why? Because you, you, you got a vine tree over there. And now go I, verse 5, I will tell you that I will what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, that Psalms 80, and that shall be eaten up and break, break down the wall therein, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there will come up briars and thorns. There's the bramble. And I will also command the clouds that they rain, rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. Isn't that interesting? And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteous, but behold, a cry. The nation, the national life of Israel. He's going to plant a vineyard, a vine. In it is going to be the tower. It's going to be a wine press. He's looking for good grapes, good fruit, but he's got bad grapes. That vine, the vine is the national life. So if if you take the fig tree and you make it the nation, national life which is what mainline Christianity does, okay, then you've what? Misidentified what the fig tree is, and you're going to make it into something that it's not. And the whole, the whole issue of 1948, as a fulfillment of the budding, uh, come back to Luke 13. Let's look at the, the fig here. Luke 13. The whole issue here, Luke 13, as fulfilling the budding, 1948 fulfills the budding of the fig tree, it, it's, it's, it, it's off base because of a misunderstanding of what the fig represents and what the vine represents. The vine is the national life. The fig is the religious life. 
You see, so in Israel, operating in the olive tree, what were they giving access to, the, to God to, to the nations out there? You see, if they had been, they were giving them access to eternal life, the life of God. As the fig tree, they were giving the pure religion. Here it is. Here's what God would have you to do. What would he have you to do? Obey my commandments. What are those? Here they are. As the vine tree, what are they? They're the national They're the nation of God. They're God's nation. By the way, it's very interesting that the Abrahamic covenant is made up of three parts. What do we got? Three trees. Problem is that fourth tree popped up, the bramble, the apostasy, and that wasn't a part of. The Abrahamic covenant's got a land part, a throne part, and a blessing part. The land, the national, the throne, the nation, the kingdom, the land, the territory. And then, by the way, the land, that's where Jacob wrestled with God. And what did he see? That Jacob's ladder. There's the access to God, ascending and descending and so forth. There's that access. The throne part, the national life, the fig. And then you have the blessing, the new covenant. There's the fig tree. You got Luke 13, right? All right. Maybe I should get there. Look at verse 6. Luke 13, verse 6. By the way, this breakout of the, of the trees works all through Scripture. But watch this thing about the fig tree. 13.6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. So what do we got? We got fig tree planted where? In the vineyard. So he's taken his religion, the fig tree, and he's planted it in his nation, the vineyard. Isaiah 5. By the way, the he here is Christ. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard. See, now he's going to go into it. He planted his religion in Israel to bring forth what? Good fruit. But what did they bring forth? Bad fruit. Come over to John 15. Because what does the Lord say? John 15, 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. The Lord, how is how is the how is the he's the true vine? Well, the vine represents the what? The national life. So how is how is that nation the the true vine? How is he? Well, it's only Israel where? In Christ. When he says, I am the true vine, it, Israel is his nation, that's the vine but it's his nation in him. It's them identified with him. That's why over and over again, he's going to make that great distinction between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the apostate nation and that little flock, the believing remnant, the true nation. It's there, all the, down through there. Why? Because he's identifying out what's going on. So the fig tree gets planted in the vineyard. He takes his religion and he puts it in his nation. But the true nation is only the Israel that's in him. Now, come back to Mark 11, because the clock is ticking. And you need to see why this is so critical here. And we saw this when we went through Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. 
and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of, the, of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So what's going to happen? He comes to the fig tree. There's no fruit on it. And what did he do? He cursed the fig tree. Verse 19, Peter's, own, Peter's uh, words here. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. Peter confirms that, that what he did was, so if the fig tree is the nation of Israel, which is what everybody says they are, then the nation is cursed forever. By the way, you know how they get around it? They say the church, the body of Christ, is replacement Israel, new Israel, spiritual Israel. And they do this hokey pokey, yabba dabba do, one, two, three, right kick, one, two, three, left kick. And it doesn't work because, well, it works in their mind because what have they done? They've misrepresented, they've misidentified what the fig tree represents. The fig tree is representing the nation of Israel. No, the fig tree is representing the religious life of Israel. Sorry. Okay? What did he just curse here in verse 14? The old covenant. The law. The Mosaic law has been what? Fulfilled. He's there. He's fulfilling it. It's going to be done away with. He eliminated the Mosaic law. It's cursed. It's done away with. It isn't going to, he's on his way to Calvary, the blood of the New Testament. Come over to Hebrews, Hebrews 8. On your way to Hebrews 10, Hebrews 8. You see, if the fig tree is the nation, then you're eliminating the capacity of the Messiah to return and redeem Israel, which is what he just taught them in Mark 13. When you see all that happen, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Not if he cursed that nation. He can't do it. See? So when what he does, so the vine is the nation. The fig is the religious life. So the fig tree is the issue, the religious, the old covenant. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also, uh, but how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that if that first covenant had been faultless, the mosaic, the Mos, the law given to Moses, the tink, the mosaic covenant, the if then, okay then should no place have been sought for the second, the better one, the new covenant, for finding fault with them. They couldn't keep the first one. 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah and with the body of Christ. No. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. The religion I gave them by the hand of Moses is going to dry up and never accomplish anything. You couldn't keep it. So I'm going to replace it with a better one. Come over to chapter 10 of Hebrews. I'm replacing it with a better one. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast no pleasure. In all of that mosaic system, what? No pleasure. Didn't work. The Verse 4, for, if, if it, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It didn't work. It was, its design was to push them to the Messiah. It didn't work. Watch verse 7. Then said I, here's the Lord, lo, I, the Lord, come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God, the Father. He come to perform the Father's will. Verse 8, above when he said, so we're going to reach back up to verse 5 and 6. Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sins thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Lo, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. So we're going to make a connection. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He's going to take away the Mosaic law. It didn't work. It cursed them. So that he could replace them with new. Verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's the condition. The offerings, no more. No pleasure in them. They just stunk up. Verse 12. But this man, talking about Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstools. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, and off he goes. And what's, what's he, he's talking about what? Christ, the work of Calvary. But in Mark 13, we're not at the cross yet. Where is Christ going? To the cross. And what does he say? 
that fig tree is done deal. I took care of it. In the shadow of the cross, he says, Mark 13. And what has God, what does the cross accomplish for them? Hebrews 10. It takes them out from under the old covenant and it puts them in the new covenant. So the fig tree, and come back there to Mark 13. The fig tree represents not the establishment of the nation, but it rather represents the, 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 the reestablishment of the, uh, of the Mosaic covenant, because that's what's going to happen with the Antichrist. He comes in and he reinstitutes. That's what he's getting at in Mark 13, by the way. What does the Antichrist do? 220 days, rebuilds that temple, clears off the, the mount over there. By the way, that uh, mount, what's it called? The temple mount is not where the temple's going to be. It's not even where the original temple was. It's just something that they did for the dumb thump Christians looking for something to do. You know, I, I was, I've never been to Israel. I'm sure it's beautiful. We'd love to be there. But I was reading some stuff about some tours and everything. And in talking to some folks that have been there, they say, well, this is where the Lord was born, Bethlehem. No, it's not. They don't know. This is where the tomb that he was laid in was laid. No, it's not. Okay? Actually, uh, the prime minister uh, that's there now, uh, he, he, I saw a thing on the Smithsonian or the National Geographic and they went down under, and they said, this wall right here is part of Solomon's temple, and it's like 20 feet below. <laughs> it's down under. So, you know, so it's like, well, okay. And they have their thing, and that's fine. My point is, is what does that Antichrist do? He resurrects that old covenant. Okay? He reinstitutes that. And that's why Hebrews is telling them, don't go back to the temple. Don't go back to that old system. It's been replaced by the cross and the new covenant. And the challenge for Israel is the Antichrist is saying, I am the Messiah. I'm reestablishing your system. See? See what I'm doing? The Mosaic law, that old covenant. And that believer is going to look at that and go, nope, the new covenant, the cross work and the new covenant is where we've got to go. And the Antichrist is going to... Uh, look back at Ezekiel with me. The Antichrist is going gonna, is gonna to use, look, look at Ezekiel 13. He's going to use this to deceive Israel, apostate Israel, into believing him, hook, line, and sinker. Look at, look at Ezekiel 13. Uh, this is written to Israel uh, just prior to the Babylonian captivity. And Ezekiel is going to explain to them why they're going into captivity, the fifth course of judgment. Ezekiel 13, verse 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God. So what did they do? I'm against you because you've spoken lies and your vanity. Verse 9. 
and mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall there be they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord God. Now, he's talking about the future. And you know what God's going to do? He ain't gonna, he's going to remove them. Vanity, empty, no truth, speaking nothing but lies. And what are they going to do? He's just going to remove them away. But what is the Antichrist doing? 2 Thessalonians 2, that strong delusion, lying wonders, and all that that we've seen. So come back to Mark 13. So in Mark 13, the first issue is, is they, they, they say that that fig tree represents the national life. It doesn't. It's the vine. The fig tree represents the religious life. Okay? And it, really, the Antichrist is going to reestablish the mosaic, so it's going to it's going to have the flowers on it. It's going to look. He cursed it. Said the old covenant is done. I'm the new covenant. I'm the new testament. But then, what what does the Antichrist do? Boom! We've got fig. We've got leaves on it out here, don't we? Yeah. It's been resurrected. But the other problem is that use of generation. And again. In the context, it is not a time period. That's usually what they use with that word generation, okay? Because they'll say 40 years. But we're not there because where are we? We're in the mid-seven years in. We're now at the end of the seven years of Daniel 70. We're all that So we're not 40 years here. He doesn't drag this out. So come back to Matthew 16. Because there's a verse here in Matthew 16 that really helps us with the use of that word generation. Now, context is king always. Okay? Notice verse 4, Matthew 16, 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. What kind of generation? What kind of people are there? A wicked and adulterous generation. A spiritually corrupt generation. But who's he talking to? Pharisees and Sadducees. What are they? What does he call them in John 8? You're of your father, the devil. So the generation, generate. Come over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. You, you know back in Genesis there where he talks about Noah being perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah, perfect in his what? Genetics. Gen they hadn't been polluted by the, the sons of God leaving the first heaven and visiting the daughters of men. So the genetics of, of Noah, yes, they were descendants of, of Adam, so sinful, but they weren't polluted with that fallen angelic realm. Matthew 23, verse 31. Matthew 23, 31. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. 
fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. So here's a group of people whose lineage is the reputation of what? Killing the prophets. So in other words, great, 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 great grandpa killed and I'm just in that lineage. It's family tradition. It's the family business. Now look at verse 33. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Not a group of people who just lived 40 years. By the way, the perfect generation is 33 years. Okay, But he's talking about where this group of people come from spiritually. They're coming from a long lineage of people who are doing what to God's people? Killing them. Keep reading, verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That, now watch, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, that's Genesis 4, under the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. And that's 2 Chronicles 24. So from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old you guys are all of that righteous blood out there. You shed it. See, wherefore I send unto you prophets, that upon you may come all the righteous blood. See, well, these guys weren't back there in Genesis 4, but what are they in? That lineage. You guys killed them. He's not talking about the, their, the, the people physically there. Because, of, because you are of the generation of vipers, that spiritual ancestry. Come over to 1 John. Chapter 3. 1 John 3, verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that what? Isn't that interesting? Well, wait a minute. His mom and dad are Adam and Eve. But spiritually, where did Cain belong to? To the adversary. You're of that wicked one. And slew his brother and so forth. And wherefore slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's. Marvel not, my brethren, if they if the world hate you. <laughs> so when you come back to Mark 13, that other issue of understanding what that word generation is. The wicked. The sat satanically generated. It starts with Cain, goes all the way down through to the Antichrist. We call, it, we call it Baal worship. That's the religion. That's the apostasy. So the generation here isn't the people around on board because he calls them a generation of vipers. He says, you guys are guilty of all the righteous blood from Abel to Zechariah. You're guilty of it, and you're going to pay for what your fathers did. They're spiritually wicked. That's what he's after. They're a corrupt generation. 
And by the way, it isn't going away until the Lord comes back and destroys it. So when they use Mark 13 to say, see, look, woo-hoo, we should be in 1988, okay, 1998, okay, 2000, okay, 2020, because that was the next one. Oh, no, 2025. You just let them blow, you know, don't buy their books. Wait for them to get up at the secondhand shop, because they will for a nickel. Seriously, they do. I, I saw the 1988 book at the secondhand bookstore for 25 cents several years ago. I didn't buy it because I wasn't going to give them my quarter. But uh, anyway, they use this passage because they don't like dispensational Bible studies. By the way, the preterists use this passage because they say, see, 40 years, generation, so 30 A.D. plus 48 years is what? 70 A.D., and it's all done. And now we're just living in the kingdom. And it's like, no, it's not. Why? Because it got interrupted. You see what's happening here? So they're using a passage. One, they misidentify what the fig tree represents, the religious life. They say, no, it's the national life. No, it's not in Scripture. And then they use generation to talk about the people in the moment. So they say, see, because the Lord said this, it's got to be that people group right there. Well, this is A.D. 33, so we're going to add 40, but we got to do this, and we little do a little hemming and hawing, so we get 70 A.D., see, and we're good to go. And no, it's not at all in Scripture. Okay? Now, Time is way up, and so we'll pick up in verse 31 there and keep moving, I hope. <laughs> I was hoping to go a little quicker here, but I did this this evening because we've talked about the four trees in the past, but we've never really spent a lot of time through. But you got to think about that use of the word generation, generate, genetic, okay? It's in the, I said it when we were studying uh, Romans uh, 16 there, uh, verse 17 and stuff. These folks don't go to Bible colleges and seminaries with the intent to deceive. They go with good intentions. The problem is, is the system they're moving into, its design is to deceive. So then naturally, then what do they become? The deceivers. And what our goal is, is to rescue as many from that deception which is what the Lord is warning the, the, belief, the 12 and the little flock here about. Don't get sucked into that deception over there. You need to stay right here where, where, I'm te- where I've taught you, where the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit coming is going to teach you, and you need to, pay, you need to be right here because you know, you know when you look around, when you see all this, you know when it time, the time is. You know where we're at on the schedule, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the ability to look into it and to study it and to understand what you're doing with your, what the Lord was doing on the earth in his earthly ministry with the believing remnant, with the 12, getting them ready for the future. In your name we pray, amen.